You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. Now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after-show entertainment. Very good, The AfterBuzz Studios in Los Angeles, California. Presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is AfterBuzz TV's Penny Dreadful After Show. We'll break down tonight's episode and get you all the latest news and gossip. And now, another post-game wrap-up show for your favorite TV show. It's AfterBuzz TV's Penny Dreadful After Show. Hey everybody, welcome to the AfterBuzz TV Penny Dreadful After Show. Season 1, Episode 8, of course, it's the season finale, which is a bittersweet time for us here. I'm your host, Bobby DeMiro, joined as always by my lovely co-host, next to me, Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. And across the way on the table, we've got Sarah Stretton and Roxy Stryer. Hello. Hello. Guys, I don't know about the three of you, but I am depressed that this show is ending. For now, of course, Season 2 is coming, and I almost don't want to do the after show, because if we don't do the after show, they'll just give us more episodes, right? Obviously, they totally they they go off of us. Perfect. Yep, we don't if we hold off, they'll just keep So this is going to be a 30 mm-hmm. second after show. Good night. No, I'm just kidding. And hey, I'm before good. we get started, we do have a lot to talk about, but I want to remind you guys of a couple things. The first one, Maria's new book. We've been talking about it a lot the last couple weeks, The Every Girl's Guide to Diet and Fitness, How I Lost 40 Pounds and Kept It Off and How You Can Too. That is in stores right now. I feel like Vanna White, you know, modeling something. I'm sure I look like her too. <laughs> you look exactly. That's what I was That's what I was looking for. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, if you want to look like Vanna or Maria, maybe this is a good resource for that. A lot of good stuff in there, and it's doing very well on the New York Times bestseller list. So congratulations to Maria for that. Another quick thing of note as the season concludes on Penny Dreadful here on AfterBuzz TV. If you haven't already, please rate us on iTunes. We want to hear what you guys thought of the season, what you thought of our after shows. We get a lot of good feedback on Twitter. I gotta say, YouTube commenters, you guys are amazing. Before I even have a chance to go on the next morning, like the Monday morning, there's literally 60 or 70 comments. It's unbelievable. Thank you. We had over 150 comments on our last video. I love it, and it's detailed, and it's smart. You guys are much smarter than we are, so thank you for that. And final note before we get started, we owe you an apology, because Roxy, Marissa, and I all missed something last week that about 50 of you called us on when Ethan was possessed in the room with uh, with Vanessa. It, of course, wasn't Ethan, physical Ethan. We, quote, took it at face value, like I said, which was so dumb because it wasn't Ethan. It was the same situation as Sir Malcolm in episode five, I believe. So we messed up. You guys were right. We were wrong. If Sarah was here, she totally would have corrected us. I called well, on it. Don't worry. <laughs> all fairness, you, you told us to take everything at face value. Hey, so don't I just blame me. Why. I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying we, we did state it, but they are so smart and brilliant, and we love you guys. But that's yeah. the thing, and we were wrong about that, so thank you guys for calling us out on that and not, you know, being too harsh with us. We're humans. Most of you. Most of you. <laughs> Okay, let's get started. We've wasted your time long enough. Let's jump right into the episode right now. And the first thing I want to talk about, speaking of her, is, of course, Vanessa. Let's start here because there's a lot to do with her, especially at the end of the episode. But let's start with her relationship, or lack thereof, 
with Dorian. She cooled off very quickly to him, huh? She had to. I mean, their last encounter was a bit awkward the way it ended. She ran out. And then, of course, you know, having that sexual moment and then going through everything that happened afterwards, the aftermath. I mean, we didn't get Dorian in the last episode to see his reaction to what, what happened and what ensued. And so I think it was very smart of Vanessa to be like, hey, if I'm with you, so-and-so happens. I mean, maybe not just you, but you are capable of setting that off within me. And it was good on her to realize that and be like, hey, I can't. He seemed like a little boy uh, when he went to approach her. Did anybody else think that? He he just seemed like a small child. Well, this is, you know, one of the first things, and Vanessa said it, not to jump too ahead, but the rejection. He has never, Dorian has never experienced rejection. I completely agree. One thing I have to hand it to her for is I thought it was just showing some serious acting chops yet again that the moment she even knew that he was at the door, before he even walked in, you could feel the disconnect between them. And that was so different because always you could feel the chemistry between Mm -hmm. them. And it's without saying anything. It's not doing anything or pushing or having to rely on lines or anything. You just feel it. And so I had to hand it to her because it was before she even actually told him no or was short and curt with him that I knew she was pulling away. And he did too, and that's why he was reacting. So I thought it was a really good like scene between the two of them. And we've seen her interact with other characters like that, but we've never seen her interact with him like that. And mm-hmm. it put him in a weird place uh, that I described as little boy-like, but just like trying to impress her, trying to... Uh, play the same role that he had been playing that no longer was going to work. Yeah, and even the the flower when they went to that greenhouse, you know, completely metaphor for their relationship that it was a moment. It bloomed for a certain amount of time. And now again. Exactly. And now it's dead right now, but it can come back. In fifteen years. It's gonna come back in a while. That's a moment they call a lifetime. Exactly. (laughs) But the possibility is still there. Mm This is interesting about Dorian, though, because you're right, Marissa, and to go back to this thing, this is the first time he's been rejected, and this is really probably the first time he's put himself out there, knowing the Dorian Gray from the novel, knowing the way Dorian Gray acts and the way he was and kind of the hedonism, I guess, that he pursued. This is the first time where you really see him not only cry, but just show any emotion. It's not about emotion for him. It's about pleasure, and now it's pain. Can you imagine having tears come down your face and and not being quite sure what that water on your cheek is? Because that is what he was... He felt it and was like, huh, what is this wetness? Going back a little bit before this, though, I thought it was really interesting when he first approached her and he asks if she'll read his future. And she says, I don't know if you have one. What did you guys think about that? Was that just her being cold or is this foreshadowing something? Well, it's a weird thing to me where their relationship is flipped so completely for reasons other than just Vanessa and possession and those sort of things. But it's the idea of when they were first together the last few episodes, she was very intrigued by him. He sort of had the upper hand in a lot of ways because he was sexy and he was different and he was kind of risky and stuff like that. And she has now realized that she can't put herself through that risk in the same way. And she's turned off to him to the point where she's almost mothering him a little bit. The thing about having no future, she's like, I'm older, I'm more experienced at life than you, you're a young kid. And then the idea of in, in the, uh, in the green, in the, um, What's the word I'm looking for? The Botanic Gardens. Well, young to her. (laughs) Yeah. Young to her. Uh, 
And that's hard to say because I of Dorian's character. He still remains young because of his portrait that we still uh-huh. have yet to but see. But we don't know how old he so, actually is. But because is. we really don't know exactly his exact I think age. he's saying that but she, she doesn't, thinks that he looks a lot younger. Yeah, he does, he yeah. does I mean, look young. That. He definitely looks younger than her. And she doesn't know the portrait thing. But she, of course she doesn't know the portrait thing. But I get the sense that this goes beyond her just being like, I can't do this because of what it releases in me. I think she obviously knows more about him than she lets on. Like, that's why she can say, you have no future. She was, like, playing with the cards as she was walked in. She felt his presence at the door without knowing it was him, like, who it was. She knows more than she's letting on. I don't know what the extent of that is, but I don't think she thinks he's just some young kid. I think she's like very aware that he but, has, but just she, as much but she has more she life does. experience than him in this sense, and that's why she's turned on him so quickly and said the thing about you have no future and the thing in the botanic gardens when she was like, "This is called rejection." That was a very condescending, in a way, thing where almost an older person would say to a younger person, "Like, hey, welcome to life. You know, this mm-hmm. is this is this is life. You will go through this. This is your first experience, and I've been there." Right. I'm not necessarily saying that this is what I think, but do we think that this has anything to do with the fact? that now that she has the devil has come out in her she has learned that he has slept with both Brona and with Ethan is this is any part of this about that I don't think so mm. for some reason I just feel like based on the fact that we do see Vanessa with Ethan again and her talking about Brona and she does have so much kindness there with them and she thanks him for being kind to her mm-hmm. I really don't think she holds a lot of judgment I think that if the judgment she does place is on herself mm-hmm. and the guilt she faces on herself, it does. She's Vanessa doesn't really seem like a pointing fingers type person, and even Sir Malcolm says like she chooses to feel guilty. It's very a personal thing. I don't think she's very judgmental of others. And this is a very mature thing Vanessa has done to reject him in a way because when you look at some of her possession events, it has all been tied to sex one way or another. The seance issue, which she had sex with the guy in the street afterwards, I know that was a cause and effect the other way, mm-hmm. but sex and possession are kind of intertwined with her. The thing with Sir Malcolm or the apparition of Sir Malcolm when she was naked in bed writhing around doing that, and then the sexual experience with Dorian the first time when it was interrupted when the demon talked to her, you know, literally talk to her. So she's looking at this and says, you know what? That's a trigger for me. Dorian might be a trigger for me. So it's the best thing, even if I still want him or whatever, I cannot act on that because I can't trigger like that again. Exactly. When he says she won't be able to resist, though, do we believe him? How long is she going to be able to hold off? Obviously, this season she held off in the last couple minutes she held off. But we know we have season two. Is she holding off? I think it's a line from him. It's a cockier guy who's always gotten what he wanted and hasn't been rejected before. And this is a coping mechanism for him to say, oh, you won't be able to resist. You may not want me now, but you'll get me later because I've never been rejected before. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little <laughs> bit of both. Completely. I think that was a line. He's What else is he going to say? He always convinces people to stay with him. But on top of that, I think that this is Vanessa's weakness or her love of like male attention like that's what got her kind of started down this path of like sin and it's always been that thing that calls her back and makes her make mistakes and so i think that it's they work together and that's why they do have a bond that goes beyond it is this like interconnection it's it's a deep thing it's not i don't think it's as just surface 
I mean, we will see them together at some level in season two, obviously. I'm just disappointed yeah. we haven't seen the portrait yet. No, I know. And, um, you know, I do think Vanessa really does care for Dorian. Mm-hmm. Like, they have built that bond over the episodes and stuff. Because, Bobby, you mentioned condescension. I don't really think so. I think it was just like, I am doing this. I'm sorry. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, she gracefully kissed him. And it showed, like, real genuine affection. My question is, we everyone likes Dorian so much. And they're talking about bringing him back for season two. If him and Vanessa are disconnected, how are they going to get him more involved in these storylines? Especially now because Brona's dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, his connections to these groups are kind of slipping away. I mean, I, I think that nothing's set in stone. I don't think his connection's completely gone. Even if it's not a sexual connection, I think it will still be there. And I'm not completely convinced that Brona's not coming back, so... Oh, well, she'll yeah. be back. She'll yeah. be an undead oh. creature with yeah. whatever. So she will be back. But but in the state that she's probably coming back in, I think her and Dorian are probably kaput. <laughs> you know, I, I would imagine. He wants all new experiences. You never know. <laughs> That's undead true. could he be could on be his bucket list. R- Necrophilia. R- well, wait a second now. Uh, seriously thinking about this, excuse my language. Remember his line in episode two or three, I've never fucked a dying creature before. Yeah. Now has he ever fucked a dead creature? I don't know. Necrophilia, necrophiliaism could turn him on. Everything else turns him on. He wants to experience everything. So maybe that is not to get too far into predictions, but... Brona has too many love connections in this show. <laughs> she, she is a yeah. prostitute, so it's going to happen. True. It's getting complicated. <laughs> it's like, I don't even know how I'm going to title them all. Now she's going to have, what, a mate, and then she has her ex-boyfriend that she loved, or well, is that her current boyfriend or ex-boyfriend? Is she dead? Let's like, what talk. Does that make <laughs> like, are they still... Would together? Mm. Does she remember him automatically? Well, we saw that actually when, um, when the, the fisherman one, oh, when um, Proteus came back. Proteus. Pro- Proteus. Proteus. I don't know why I always add that extra line. When Proteus came back, he recognized his wife. So you do have some recognition. From your yeah, past well, life. No, let's talk Brona because she has a bad episode to say the least. There's a tough one for her. Uh, I thought she was amazing, though. Oh, no, no, no. The act- I'm, no saying, I, I'm saying I, the character I'm, I'm aware. Yeah. I'm just saying I thought she was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's Well, one thing to be interesting, and not to go too far off Brona, but to talk about Ethan with her, is Ethan has not showed any signs or symptoms of sickness. Because of what happens to Ethan later with the full moon, maybe we now know why he hasn't shown any signs of sickness. Or because why he wasn't worried about it. Exactly, because he's not human. So I guess that question answered itself. But, not fully human. Yeah, he's whatever this is. <laughs> but to talk about Brona first, uh, did you think Victor Frankenstein had it in him to smother her? Why did he do that? Two reasons. Well, obviously the Caliban thing. Yes. But, but she was going to die. But that's the thing. She was going to die. And I think part of it is as weird and scary and kind of bad a dude as Victor is in some ways, he's also still kind of a good guy. And I think as bad as it is, don't give me that look, he's kind of putting her out of her misery. I, I mean, I kind of agree with that, too. But also, we can see Caliban every single episode getting closer to Victor. Hey, I need my bride. And I think it was also somewhat of the pressure that's been building up. Like, he's kind of desperate at this point to find any woman. See, I so don't feel that. I feel like the pressure was completely Taken relieved away. at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, he had just come from the scene, which we are obviously going to dissect later, but I felt like by the time he got to Brona, there was no need to murder her. And if you want to do something nice, you just wait till she died. 
Although, like you're saying, put her out of her misery, that makes a little more sense to me. She struggled zero bits. Well, what about she, this? She didn't scream. She didn't move. She didn't try to... He gave she the speech. She could hardly breathe at that yeah. point. What about this? Just one week ago, when that first priest came into the home to uh, sit with Vanessa when she was on her dying thing or whatever, do you remember how Victor acted so antagonistically towards the priest and towards religion and how anti-religion Victor is? Victor is here creating people, literally creating new quasi-human beings. He's acting antagonistically towards religion. I think Victor sees himself as God. He has a godlike complex. I mentioned that a long time ago. And so God... The control over life and death. And so God controls Brona's death. God, Victor, but God in his eye in some level, not only controls Brona's death because he can and has the ability to do that and, and supposedly thinks he knows best, but he also sees Caliban so heartbroken and says, you know what? I have the power. I have a godlike complex. I want to do something to help him now. I, I really don't think it's a godlike complex. I think that... Really? Not really. I mean, I think he has a fascination with life and death. I think the most thing that turned him towards Brona was the fact that she was so fearful of where she was going to go and that he couldn't tell her that she was going to go to this beautiful place or whoever was going to be on the other side of the door. So he gave her a third option. Why he chose to smother her and not wait, I'm not really sure. My rationalization for it was I was like, I don't know, control of the situation so he knows she's dead and could take the body? Because it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, But that's the godlike complex, control the situation. That's the thing. I feel like, I guess maybe it's just my connotation of it, but a godlike complex would just be like, almost like a supremacy. And I feel like he hasn't really felt supreme in these situations. Oh, that's the beauty. Because he has he has, he has the complex, but he's not confident enough to really go through with it. And so he goes through with it this way, but he's doubting himself. I think that's the beauty of mm-hmm. it, where outwardly he wants to be this confident scientist and he wants to be in power and he knows he kind of has this complex, but deep inwardly he's like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know if any of this is right mm-hmm. and I just kind of got to go through it anyways. That's his struggle. I don't, I don't know, but... What if the rules are that somebody, in order to come back, has to be killed, not die, of natural causes, so or or of sickness? Maybe maybe there's something that he is starting to piece together, or maybe like you're saying, he just wanted to control the situation and he wanted to be able to not have it take so long. I don't think that there was any pressure from Caliban at this point, but I do think there was a lot of motivation for Caliban. Agreed. I think he really cares about Caliban after that little Caliban speech and realizes like. Oh, I did this. Oh, I put you here, and you're miserable. I should want to provide this for you. I I think that's what happened. Not only that, but in a weird way, maybe this is too far, but answer this question for me, ladies. Do you think that Victor, seeing Caliban so emotionally devastated, and Caliban said, why didn't you just make me out of, I would rather be the corpse I was then than the man I am now. Why did you not make me of steel and stone? Victor sees Caliban feeling emotions, and more emotions than just the horrible anger Caliban has had for him the whole Mm -hmm. season. This is devastation, heartbreak, loss, all these very human emotions. And maybe Victor sees that in Caliban and says, wait a minute, instead of putting him out of his misery and shooting him like I was going to, he's got emotions. He has feeling. I've created a human. I want to do it again. And And I feel bad, and I want to give him a wife, but I've succeeded in a way in what I'm doing. I do not get that feeling at all of success. I don't see it. I see pity. I see that maybe he can help fix him and relieve this pain. I don't see it as a self thing where like, oh, look what I did. No, it's not casual. All. It's not casual at all. But I'm saying he sees that and in the back of his mind. I'm, no, I'm putting emotions on him, but he sees that in the back of his mind and says, I succeeded in a way I didn't expect to succeed in. 
I personally didn't get that. I mean, I guess it could be. I just felt a sense of compassion, and I do think a realization of the fact that he is partially responsible for this person, or this creature, um, and, and in a way, an obligation. He knows he's been successful. That's why he created a second one. Like, I don't think it was a validation of his efforts. I think it was just plain pity and maybe seeing that um, he had the ability to change. I'm finding it difficult to differentiate from what I saw versus what Victor heard Caliban say. So we're missing a chunk right now that we haven't talked about, which is what happened to Caliban to get to the place where he went to Victor's. So this whole situation with uh, Maud and Simon and everything that happened there, the way that Victor reacted um, with killing Brona was almost as if he saw the whole thing play out and he had been watching it, which he hadn't. I saw it. You guys saw it. He did not see it. So all he had to go off of was was the speech, which addressed the fact that he wishes that he was dead. And that's pretty much all he said in in way more beautiful words. Um, but also that he was broken from the inside out and right. that it was something about his soul and that he had been putting all these negative outlets in the world and blaming the world when really he needed to take a look at himself. Right, absolutely. But the, the point that I was getting at is if you are the creator and what you try to do, your purpose in the world is to bring people back from the dead and bring them to life. And you hear that creation say that they wish you never did that. They wish that they were still dead. Then you, your purpose, everything you've been working for is null and void because you're doing it off the point that you would figure they would be grateful, they would be happy to be alive. He's saying that he would rather be dead. So how do you make it so that he wouldn't rather be dead? You give, you give him, him a life so that you don't look as a failure in your own eyes. Yeah, and I, I, I don't, don't know about what Caliban kept saying through his whole speech, you know, say, hey, my creator, which is obviously Victor, he kept saying, you know, my shattered visage body reflects the person who, who created it and the soul that created it. Obviously, he's going against Victor. And so pretty much Caliban kept saying, you're the reason I'm like this, and you're not a good person either. And then having Victor go straight to, you know, Ethan and Brona in that situation, I think that was also just maybe Victor also being guilty that he created something that wasn't as great as it should have been, and this is his second chance to create something better. But he does remind us that he doesn't have a big enough heart to forgive him which was important, and yes, he said that before the speech, but I believe that still holds true. I don't think he's forgiven him. I just You're saying you don't think Victor has forgiven, forgiven Caliban, Caliban for Van Helsing? And I, and I don't think he, he ever will. So I don't, yeah. I don't think this is him. When he decides not to shoot him, and when he decides to kill Brona for him, I don't think this is him saying, okay, we're even. We're square now. It's not that at all. I think he, and I, I'm not quite sure if I agree about the giving himself purpose in his own eyes, but I think everything he's ever worked for is now irrelevant because what he did, he created this life which was supposed to be everything and this life doesn't want to live. So in order to have purpose, he's fighting for a purpose, he has to make it count and that's why he's doing it. I totally agree with that. Maybe I see it in a different way with the godlike complex, but if you spent your life or spent years doing something and trying to do it and you created it and this is the pinnacle and sure you messed up and ran away from him and then you created Proteus and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But if you created this thing and it lived and in your head you say, okay, I did what I set out to do. And the thing says, I don't want to live. You made a huge mistake. You've got two options. Kill it. Yeah. 
come to grips with the fact that you made an unbelievable mistake and you messed up and you have to deal with that and move on or try to force the next thing and the next thing's Brona. Absolutely. And she disagreed with the godlike complex. I I don't disagree with that. I think that it, by very definition like creating life, if you believe in God, that's what you believe God did. So if you are somebody who's trying to create life, you're trying to emulate God. But does he even believe in God? I don't know. I he think, doesn't. I think he. Well, I think he, in a weird way he in, does because it's him. That's the <laughs> yeah. thing. He doesn't believe in God. He believes in science or whatever you want to call it. But that's he says I am more powerful than God because God doesn't exist and I don't believe in it. But I'm creating life. Look at me. It's, I don't it's know. giving a weird face. No, up. it's interesting. I, I I see what both of you guys are saying. I don't know where I lie, but I I like to listen to you guys talk. So. <laughs> well, good. Hey, let's talk a little bit more. How about Ethan in this episode? Huh. First off. Praying in Latin over uh, over Brona when she's dying or or you know sick and not in good spirits. Uh, Ethan has become, and do we know that he is Catholic or have we just seen the Catholicism with him with that exorcism scene with Vanessa last episode and then praying in Latin this episode? It's a very Catholic thing to do. Well, the thing is, you don't have to be Catholic to know Latin. True. Also, so but I, but I makes, feel like in that time period with that thing, it, it is. A, Definite possibility, also. But the thing is, we still don't know much about his past to mm-hmm. s- to know how he knows Latin, why he's over. He's a box of mysteries. He, he is, and that's the thing. How does he know no Latin? It's still a question. I I'm like so many questions. So I don't many. know. They're all going to jump ahead because I mean, we get we get what one answer in this whole thing <laughs> about Ethan. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. On top of that, we know now at least it's his father looking for him and it could have well we knew his his father father was after him in like the second episode Mm -hmm. we just didn't know how after him he was yeah and now we know very that he sent (laughs) federal marshals no 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 no, 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 private sector pinkerton detective pinkerton is actually a agency in chicago yeah like based based off in chicago so which tells me that that since it's since they specifically said it's not federal marshals, it's not outwardly breaking the law. It's a different kind of trouble. So maybe I don't know. See the thing what is, my question is with Pinkertons because they they were known for arresting um, criminals in the country of America at that time. They're really out of their jurisdiction right now. Yeah. Well, they don't seem to care too much about jurisdiction. <laughs> I know, but I, I'm going like... When, when you like got a, worlds uh, you're going between countries, who cares? I mean... Uh, as a kind of side note, it was really interesting to me because I watch... <laughs> because I watch so much television and so many shows where werewolves appear. <laughs> um, chains are a thing that you use on werewolves. That So... I thought when we saw the chains that they knew what they were getting themselves into. I wouldn't bring chains to take home a human. Like, m- maybe rope, maybe something. So I was like, oh, this is clue number one, that he is a werewolf. But Mr. Kid and his sidekick had no Roper idea that he was a werewolf. Roper. So uh, it was interesting to me that they brought chains. I agree. Uh, it was, it was, yeah, it was just a strange thing. Um, and, and, and shackles. Not shackles. like handcuffs, yeah, yeah, yeah. but big chains. Which, which yeah. is what you use on a werewolf, or yeah. at least that's what they do on the TV shows. I don't know, real-life werewolves. I, guess. <laughs> I thought it was an interesting take on the werewolf, though. Um, his actual transformation, the actual visual imagery we got, it was more reminiscent of, like, the wolf man mm-hmm. than I feel like a lot of times now 
were getting, you know, fully changing into wolves or... Well, we didn't, like, actually even see the full transformation. He turns around, we see the knuckles, and then we see the face, but... I don't know whether after that he ran free with Shiloh and some I'm naming other dogs. I've lost <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he could he could have then gone full wolf, and we didn't uh, see it. It could have been like it the midway, 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 right? But I don't know. Or he could just be Wolfman. Well, or like you know, but it was some or sort werewolf of... in London. There you go. He did do an interesting thing though, because a lot of these supernatural things that have been going on in this episode are private. With the exception of the seance, which was in front of a lot of people, a lot of these things are private in rooms and bedrooms Mm -hmm. in that home. And Ethan kind of went full werewolf in this bar, restaurant, wherever it was. Degaff. Yeah, and you hear a lot of people screaming in the background when he's killing Kid and Roper. So did he kill the rest of these people? Can he... what, What happened? My other question is, how much control over this does he have? Because this wasn't... It was the full moon. It was the... I don't know. It felt like the moonlight hit, and then he transformed. Yeah, what set him off? I'm like, why Mm -hmm. is this an only full moon type werewolf thing? And if so, why was he in a bar? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And because because of all the different shows takes on werewolves, and all the different books takes on werewolves, it is a different set of rules for when you are capable of turning. And I thought that, and we're of course going to talk more about this later. But when he was being attacked um, in the episode by all of the crazies, he, I was like, oh, he must not be a werewolf, actually, because otherwise, he'd sick him now, and he seems so helpless. But then I saw that it did, it did correlate with the moon. So, yes, wolves are always by the moon, but it was fine that it was through the window, and then he, was it just at that moment, or is he able to turn only when? Does he have control over it? I don't know. There was exactly. a lot of questions. I, I feel like he has some control over it, because it was already the full moon, but he was still in the human form, but he was provoked by those two guys that right. made him hit the certain point where he had to change. But so he's I think caused there's some a few level. bloody massacres, and mm-hmm. there seemed to be some in his past, so how many of these are in control, and how many of them aren't? Right. Yeah. And, and is he the person that killed all those people at the beginning of the show in the first few episodes there was the blood massacre then like it was it Jack the Ripper or was it really Ethan? The storyline I want to see in season two and we'll talk about it later is is those murders the murders in town so now that we know what Ethan does was he the one committing those murders? Who knows? I also think it's interesting that back in America we know he left behind a lot of tears and a lot of blood Yeah. so that makes me think now that we know he's where man he he must have he must have done some werewolfy type things and killed a bunch of people. And if that's the case, then how come these two men that are coming after him don't know what he is? So did he do other things unwerewolf related, and they just thought he was a human that they were after, or uh, how are they so unaware? Because it's not matter because now they are dead, right? But they did seem completely unaware. By the way, I thought that the monkey throughout was so brilliant that they kept saying the monkey, monkey, and then finally they say monkey, and he says no, and I'm just like wolf, you mofos. Oh, it was amazing. I thought that was incredible. <laughs> Roxy actually said wolf out loud. Yeah, I want to see. I, I want to see. Next time, instead of doing the after show, I think next season we should do eight or whatever episodes of Roxy's live commentary during the show. You know how VH1 sp- does like pop up video and things like that. Yeah. I want you live commentary I during. Sp- the we should show. just like mic her during oh, 100%. the show, and that's it. Marissa turns that's over it. me all the time, and she's like, "Shh, shh." I like can't <laughs> help it. No. She's like, "Stop! I'm trying to listen." Sarah, I like ask a lot of questions. She just doesn't answer, but she, but I know she's there. <laughs> it's a good feeling. I zone in. Yeah. 
All right, rocks and the rest of you. Let's go to the <laughs> biggest story of the day, and that, of course, is Mina. It doesn't start with Mina, though. It starts with Vanessa and Malcolm and things like that. So where do you want to start with this? How about Malcolm in the gun shop? Let's start with Madame Kali before we get to Mina. Or should I say, oh, excuse I... me, Evelyn. Evelyn Paul. Evelyn, Evelyn Paul. Not Evelyn. Evelyn Paul. Evelyn, come on. actually a real person. Evelyn Paul is actually a real person. Professor Serafini. <laughs> well, um, actually, because... Her real name is Evelyn Maud Blanche Paul. Maud. Maud. Another Maud. She's actually a, an artist back in that time in in London, and her artist was like Dante's Gothic type of paintings and stuff. So that she was known for that. Hmm. How did you find this out? Did you have time to Google her after the show? I might have. Man. <laughs> No, wow. she just knew it. I, I wouldn't pass Professor Serafini. She knows everything. Every time you say that, I think of Boy Meets World. Fina. Fina. You know what? That wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> anyway. My okay. Let's get back Fini. to Evelyn. Evelyn coming on pretty strong to Malcolm. Malcolm's got some uh, pull with the ladies. Don't huh? trust her. Oh, I don't trust her either. I, yeah. No. Uh, are you kidding? She's so weird. Her name is Evelyn. And so <laughs> casual about, you know, oh, Madame Kali. And she's like, oh, no, it's Evelyn. That's just the thing I yeah. put on. It's like, wait a minute. You had this horrifying seance. She's like, I'm the seance woman. Yeah, you can't be that casual yeah. about she it. It's terrifying. She could be normal. But you know what? I kind of did like Sir Malcolm. And I think she she was very mysterious, which I think Sir Malcolm was very into. And I'm like, okay, they, they couldn't be the, best, the worst couple. But why did he lie to her? Why did he say? That he doesn't know where about Vanessa because he just didn't want to explain. I th- yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, that's not her business, really. But obviously, she knows. But she did the seance, obviously, with uh, Vanessa. But is she after Vanessa as more well? More story on that. I don't think that was her place to know everything that's going on. But it was weird after we had just seen. So we started the episode with uh, Vanessa and Malcolm talking, and him saying. I know you already know this, but you're forcing me to say this out loud. I will give up your life for my daughters any day. You know, so we see this this issue between them two. Uh, he says, I left my son to suffer without me. I'll do this. I'll not do the same to my daughter. He's saying he's willing to kill his daughter, but he's also willing to give up Vanessa's life to save his daughter. So I thought that this was weird because it seemed like he was protecting her now to um, Evelyn. Also, I think it's probably just a weird thing to be like, oh, the beautiful woman's living at my house. (laughs) She's possessed. She's possessed. We're looking in the underworld. But hey, how are you doing? How's the weather? So this was like totally 2014 when you bump into somebody you think's cute and they ask you about something you don't want to talk about. So you just brush it under the rug. Exactly. Okay. I'm thinking too much into this. All right. (laughs) Who knows? I think she knows about Vanessa or is on a mission. I think. So, So do you think she has seer power. She's not just performing in the seance. She actually oh, has... I'm not sure she's if like she's working for someone else. I think that there's a reason she showed up, and I feel like there's like a plot to ensue, like why she was in this gun shop. Yeah, she's well, buying guns, which is probably not normal for a woman of that era alone, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I know she said, oh, my ex-husband, I have the smell of whatever it was. Gun oil. Yeah, sure you do. But she says, I can sense that you're going on another trip to Africa. Which... I guess he never was, so who knows if that makes her... F- is is trip to Africa her joking euphemism, though? Do you remember the governor of South Carolina, not to get too far off topic, was cheating on his wife, and when he was gone cheating, they asked the person where he was, and he said he was, quote, hiking the Appalachian Trail. And that became a funny joke that anytime somebody was 
having sex, hiking the Appalachian Trail. Look it up. Mark Sanford, it's a funny story, also kind of sad. My point is, is going to Africa sort of a euphemism for her where she's playing with him too and says, hey, wink, wink, you going to Africa? Because I know what you're actually doing, but I'll let you out of this conversation easily. And oh, by the way, we'll meet again. I don't think so, but I really enjoyed the fact that you just told that, so I, I want to say yes. <laughs> well, look I'll it up. I'll say yes to the fact that technically while he was going to Africa, he was doing some, you know, raunchy things, so mm-hmm. maybe there's some crossover. I don't know. I'm telling you, hike in the Appalachian Trail. Google it. Anyways. Uh, okay, so let's move on with Vanessa and Malcolm. Uh, the one big scene that sticks out to me is Vanessa confronting Malcolm about Mina and Peter's photograph, and you alluded to it about mm-hmm. Malcolm saying, I will sacrifice you to find my daughter. We mm-hmm. learn at the end, it's, hey, spoiler alert, that's actually not true. He didn't sacrifice <laughs> Vanessa. But he lied. the one line, Marissa oh, and I, when we were so watching good. it, all the feels, man, all the, all feels. the feels. Because one of the lines he says is, it's, it broke a man's heart, not a young mm-hmm. girl's heart. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, see, I did not like that line. Oh, I didn't oh, like no, it either. It I didn't awful. like it. Sarah and I both like, we were both just like, I'm not saying mm-hmm. I condoned it or liked it, but that's yeah. a strong line. And yeah. that and that establishes a relationship with them that we already knew was happening, but it mm-hmm. further solidifies it, that he has so much disdain for her at this point right. until what happens at the very end, until he realizes how he actually might feel about her, that a line like that, you're like, oh, man. Yeah, like, you're def- the cause of my pain. Definitely yeah. rubbed me the wrong way. It should have. Yeah, it was meant to. It's not that I didn't like the line in the show, it's just that his character sometimes is hard to... And I think that's what they did very yeah. well. They really built his character up to be such an a-hole that the audience don't like him. And to say something like that, just another layer that, uh, this guy, he's at the point of he can't even redeem himself, which is, was a nice twist in this episode. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, we got the band back together. Vanessa, Ethan, Victor, Sembene, Malcolm, they're all together again. Hey. Yeah. That's so sweet. And they're going to the theater. Let's go to the theater. Let's go to the theater. Lovely time. I loved that. Let's talk real quickly. I know we spoke a lot about Caliban earlier, but we do need to talk about him in the theater. So before we get to the demon and all this stuff, let's talk Caliban in the theater. Because he has that very unfortunate scene with Maude and with Simon, and then he... Kind of a little rapey with Maude. Yeah. Oh, a little rapey, a little murdery, a little abusive. <laughs> just, just very uh, aggressive. All of it's bad. It got to the point of aggression. Yeah. I mean, what do we think could have happened there? Like, where could this have gone? Well, and I think it was just They could have shared the orange and been happy. Yeah, but, yeah, even you mentioned orange. Mm-hmm. The, the symbolism of orange is actually a comforting type of color. And orange, and, you know, it Professor Serafini. Helps People with grief and suffering, you know, you go with orange, that that connotation. Um, yes, but side note. <laughs> but uh, I think it's just that building of the relationship with Maude. We think that Maude might actually be the only woman to show real affection towards Caliban back. And then Caliban going his way, wanting to try to get Maude. You know, he wants his bride. So I think it was just his fast aggression towards trying to get the woman that he wanted. I mean, can we blame her for the way she acted, though, and for saying that she would quit if he wasn't fired? No, I don't. Not at all. I don't think you can ever victim blame anything in this situation, right? I will say, though, it's interesting what she did at his 
place versus what he did at her place in the theater. And she came and brought him the orange to give to him, not have with him. And then when he came to her place, he brought an orange to have together. Did you notice the distinction where he said, let's have this orange together? And she told him flat out, don't come in. You better not come any closer. Get out of here. She had her boundary or she whatever. And he didn't do that. And yes, it was very rapey, aggressive, uncomfortable, violent on his part. But it was also heartbreaking because he wanted it so badly and went about it the wrong way. And the second he realized he went about it the wrong way, he fled because he knew he did something wrong. Right. And then yeah. when Vincent like said, poppy. yeah, and when Vincent said, you got to go, man, you know, see you later, he didn't fight it at all because he knew he did something he wrong, which fight. made it all the more, although he was aggressive and definitely in the wrong, it made it all the more heartbreaking to be like, he doesn't know. Right. Not that you can excuse it, but he doesn't know any better. It's sad. And and also. It's like of mice mm- and men. Like Glennie, like with his puppy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, I kind of got that, too. Um, also, Maude did point out, how, how would you know that, um, what was his name? Simon. 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 How, how would you know what Simon does? Right. So yeah. It really establishes that Caliban it has realized that he has been stalkerish, too. So it's gotten to that level, that line that he shouldn't cross, but he did. What do you guys... Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, he's never had physical intimacy with anybody, I assume, that we know of because of the way he's been talking. So when he went to Vincent, or when Vincent brought him and said, you gotta go, man, Vincent hugged him. Caliban said something along the lines of, no one's ever been nice to me before like you. But remember, Maud kissed him on the forehead. Right. And a little kiss, which to the four of us, in a neutral situation, would be like, oh, that's sweet. Like, she's kind of looking after him. That's really cool. Right. To him, that's Everything. Everything. Absolutely everything. No one's ever touched him like that before. Nobody's ever touched him, period. Yeah, except for kicking him in the street in, like, the second episode. Absolutely. Uh, I just thought that it was really interesting the way that we left this, though, uh, which is Vincent saying, remember us better than we are. That's the other line with the feels, man. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I didn't even really know what I was supposed to be, what that was supposed to mean. I I was just like, ooh, I'm going to remember that. I think that's sort of a little tongue-in-cheek play at acting and the theater. And, And sort of Vincent saying along the lines of, what we think we do is spectacular and cool and important, but what we kind of do is a little hokey and jokey, and it's just entertainment. But you know what? Remember us better than we are. It's a little theatrical way to go out, and it's a little way to say, yeah, we're we're here doing something that's maybe not as significant as we would like to think it is, but please remember it for being significant. We're doing important work here, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I took it as, as slightly kind of tongue-in-cheek funny. Yeah, I, I, think- I took it as, like, the, the bigger picture is that... Hey, we have flaws and whatnot, but remember us, we are deep down good people. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the beauty of this line, and that's why it's kind of left on the open on this open stage, because you can interpret it in so many ways. And I think that there was, it is a connection to the theater. But I think it's more than that. I think that it's also the fact that we see a lot of people die in this show, or near death, and it's how you remember people. And you want to see the good in them. And that already happens. Like, you, once someone is gone, you do want to point out their good factors. You're not going to batter everything they did wrong. So I think it was also connected to that. I agree. And then I also took it, and maybe this is a step too far, but I felt like he took that almost as advice to go and see Victor. And even though Victor had been done horrible things... He was still his creator, and that was a good thing. So remembering him for what his intentions were and going back there. And Caliban had nowhere else to go. Right, and he had nowhere else to go. Now, the the other important thing to talk about, very briefly, but is Caliban putting the makeup on? 
Yes. Which was, to me, really, really sad, obviously, because he's trying to be normal. Yeah, and she laughed. And she didn't laugh maliciously, but he kind of took it a little maliciously because it's like, wait a minute, I tried. Like, I'm trying to get done up for you. You're laughing at me? And I think she's kind of laughing like, you're so goofy. This is You don't have to do that. I accept you for who you are. But to him, it was just another... You're making fun of me for the way I look. Everybody makes fun of me for the way I look. Yeah, you can't do it too. It's his vanity problem. Yeah. Because for once he tried to be like everyone else and then she didn't like that. And another thing that set him off. Yeah. All right. Now, speaking of this theater, let's talk demon. <laughs> Where's the, your smile? I, I mean, like that, that demon was really creepy sleeping up He's in the rafters. done really well. So well. I must say, like, his makeup or whatever they were doing and all the teeth and everything it was done so well like i was trying to figure it out i was like is this prosthetics is this digital how are they just really pale as a guy like exactly did they just really typecast this one (laughs) (laughs) no why if you're not watching i'm kidding oh my god i'm gonna get so many hate comments no he's not really i know i know i don't like that one girl on the left She tries. She really tries, guys. Uh, okay, but what about that demon? <laughs> oh, we, we've, we're moving on, Roxy. We've got another scene, just like the ship scene, where it's kind of like becomes an action movie within a television show. Ooh, and yeah. you're fighting the demon and all these women and, and whatever. And, and also, sh- what the hell's happening? Because I can't see anything. Well, yeah, I know. It's very dark. Why do you stand on a trap door? That's my big question. Well, you know. In, you didn't know. In fairness, they were in you're, theater at night after the curtain has called and there was only the ghost light on. So it was very understandable that there wouldn't be any light going on. That I understand. It was, I did not no, understand I didn't like the, under trap door. Yeah, I didn't like the fact that it was so dark because so much was happening. I'm like, can we get a little bit more light, please? But no, overall, um, it was done well. Absolutely. Realistically, there wouldn't be light. Yeah, you but only I, had the ghost light. But I, that's why it's really important that we talk about this right now because I am still not certain I know exactly what happened. I mean, I, I've pieced it together enough, but... I, I, there were times where I was like, I, I don't know who's fighting who right now. Well, Ethan fell through the trap door, right. started shooting everybody, then everybody has like, all the all the blondes. All the blondes. All the blondes. Oh. Then bitches. you got, what's his name? Says? Sembene. Sembene, like, dropped in like a lovely, like, Dracula bat, right. and then started like, <laughs> stabbing people. Sembene's the, quite the fighter. The important distinction like, here, though, is his past? Sembene and Ethan were both taken over and yelling for help by these blonde women, blonde entities, and they were going to take them until Sir Malcolm ended up stabbing, stabbing the demon. And when you stab the demon, the blonde bitches fall. Pretty much. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to where? Who knows? I did not see the after shot. I just think they're useless. The power is over. When the demon's power is done, the power of the things so are just all like lying the, on the, the ground. ground. Yeah. Like There's the queen like bee, a... you know? You, you take out the queen, you take out all of its minions. And but it obviously yeah. wasn't the queen bee. That's Actually, true. It wasn't. Yeah, it was no. just the queen bee for the blondes or whatever, but Mina was the queen bee. And Victor and shoots his first uh, thing. He, he's yeah. doing a lot of killing in this episode. Yeah. Well, good for him, though, because they had that scene about, not for killing, but they had that scene With about the guns. The guns. The, yeah. So he finally shoots his thing and in a weird way becomes a little more of a man, man like yeah. Ethan would be or whatever, so... He's and and he's with the big boys. shoots his first thing. Remember how badly Victor wanted to go with Sir Malcolm to Africa and wanted to be a man and prove right. himself? And Malcolm's like, no, dude, you're not going. Now I'm, he's there. Now he's and there. And he did something. Exactly. Yep. Good job. The one thing Victor's done right in this episode. Uh, okay, guys, how about Mina? How about Malcolm shooting Mina? 
Oh, that was so good. And saying he already has a daughter. I already have a daughter. So I I take back <laughs> everything I said about her not being his daughter. Um, let me just, what is it called? Eat crow? Yeah, but no, yeah. you're cool because he it's had to take it all back. Yeah, yeah, Malcolm he, yeah. had to eat some crow. Malcolm and I are in the same corner right now crying about the crow that we're having to eat for dinner. <laughs> um, yeah, I, okay. I mean. Sorry, guys. I wasn't that surprised. I wasn't I mean, surprised we either. We weren't surprised either. I uh, was shocked. <laughs> I was shocked. I just feel like it. Were, like remember when Ethan was like, <laughs> Bobby you, never, like remember when yeah. Ethan was like, you already have a daughter. <laughs> yeah. Go take care of her. I was like, realization time. Exactly. And, and that's what we said. Last I will give it to show. Mina. Like that was a great way to go. She was scary and sexual and strange, and I really enjoyed. Well, her and she turn. mentioned something interesting because. We know Malcolm has lost Peter. We know Malcolm's lost Mina, even though he thought he could get her back. So he's 0 for 2. And even though Vanessa may not be his choice of a daughter, he was about to go 0 for 3 because Mina said something along the lines of, she grabbed Vanessa and says, now that the master has his bride, his bride mm-hmm. everything's going to get set off. That wasn't exactly what she said, but they something along the lines of, now we go, we've been looking for Vanessa. So good on Malcolm, finally, for realizing Peter's gone, Mina's gone, I can't lose the third one or all hell will break loose, literally. I might as well keep the third one. He tries. He says, you're still inside there. And then very quickly sees she's not. Yeah. And we're all, or I'm asking this, are you guys all fully convinced she was no longer in there? Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, it it was kind of questionable because when we first saw Mina, she was normal. Like, her eyes were completely human-like. And then we saw that squished... Quick change, and then we realized, okay, she is gone. There's no hope for her. Yeah. So when... You know, uh, Malcolm said, no, I have a daughter. You know, Bobby and I were like, yep, we called it. <laughs> Everybody knows. Yeah. Me too, guys. Me too. <laughs> Good job, yeah. Brock. Thanks. And then, they, and then, hey, they end up talking about Christmas. Yay! <laughs> yeah. Let's <laughs> just invite the gang no. over to decorate. One big, One's a little busy family. killing everything. But it'll One be big happy family. We'll have the boys over. That's the thing. Yep. When, when they said we'll have the boys over, I was like, who are the boys? And Marissa's like, come on, dude. It's like Victor and Ethan and stuff. They're going to hang the out. Gang. It's the, the gang. gang. What other girls are there is the bigger That's question. true. They're, just, they're getting the band back together. No, but literally, what other girls are there? None no, of them are left. Other than Vanessa. Brona's gone. Mina's gone. Well, yeah. Brona's... In the kind of gone. Uh, yeah. So gone. I'm just I'm just asking this. I, I think gone. she is, but Mina is gone, gone. Like there's no way that there's another Mina out there, and all these creatures are are. You know, there's a whole well, season coming my, up. I'm sure there's another Mina. Oh, you my, think so? My there's question is, what Mina, happened to Mina's body? We didn't see the aftermath of Mina's my body. Is, they, who's Mina's master? No, yeah. but I, yeah. I, no. What I'm saying right now about Mina is. Is that just like an image of Mina and Mina's actually still out there? Oh, no. I think Mina's you think dead. Mina's dead. Mina's gone. Yeah. She's coordinated this whole thing. She was about to bring the prize home. If you're bringing home the bride of mother of evil, like, you go in person. I think Mina was, like, or, do you? just do dead you? body. <laughs> I think yeah. Mina Sarah was would. a vessel for the the master, someone to just use and control to get the message out there, and I think Mina was dead a long time ago. Yeah, I think he has followers. I think it's a follower. Absolutely, thing. and Mina was just a body, a conduit for his And his she was doings. never redeemable by Malcolm, he just didn't know that, or right. didn't want to believe it. Yeah. It's just hard to tell what is a body and what is a spirit. Like, was there something in her and then they killed the body and now the spirit goes and finds another body? Or was this one of the spirit's minions and, uh, like, a high-up minion? 
I'm not sure. I think the demon was a minion. Those blonde whatevers were a minion of a minion. Mina was a minion. Uh, what was his name? Felton? The guy that they chained Fenton. up? Or, Fenton. Fenton, thank you. The guy that they chained up earlier was a minion. And so there's probably a lot more minions coming. There's a whole hierarchy going on. Yeah. The bureaucratic system. But yeah. <laughs> but Fenton didn't seem like Mina seemed. Fenton seemed He was different. I think he's a different level. He's a different yeah. level yeah. minion. I think this is a very complex master minion relationship mm. where they, they each have their own capabilities. Like Mina could reach out. Mina could, you know, kind of change her eye color. Like she could see And Mina she could Mina bad. had the personal relationship mm. with Vanessa, which Fenton yeah. obviously didn't. Yeah. 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 So there's there's some priority. But we know that the master can manipulate so many different people in different ways. But it makes me wonder if this is the same okay, I'm I might I might be way off with this, but going back to last week's the thing with Ethan and Ethan is there and he's not actually there, but he's being is it Amon Ra or is it is that who mm-hmm. it was Amon Ra. Oh it was Amon Ra. Yeah, so he- so Amon Ra is half of this team and Amon Ra can present himself as whatever he wants or she wants. And so at that moment Amon Ra was Ethan because that's what was gonna get through to Vanessa. But at this moment Amon Ra was Mina. Yeah. You know, is it is it all the same oh, one? I don't think so because I think that I think the different what entities. we have seen is when Amon Ra presents himself to Vanessa, they seem to be visions more than the actual body being taken over. Right. Like we can go way back to the first time she uh, had sex with the spirit, and you got her mother walking in, and Vanessa sees that she's having sex with someone, but the outside world all sees that it's no empty one. room. <laughs> right. Versus, like, here, I don't everyone think it can, can be see. that, because, yes, she's Smart. present with everyone. Yeah. Versus, like, her with the Amun-Ra as Ethan, or her with Amun-Ra as... Um, Malcolm, those are isolated scenarios. I think if anyone had walked into that room, they would have seen a person talking to themselves. Right. Got it. You know what I think? I think we need more Lyle. That's what it is. Yeah. To explain more. more We need more Lyle. Yeah. And he will come back in season two, I hope. Last question for you three before we go to news and gossip and predictions. To go to the very last scene of this season, guys, did Vanessa say yes or no? Oh, my God. She didn't didn't answer, but the answer is... Uh, she didn't answer, but the answer is no. No, that's what I'm saying. I know I she didn't answer. answer. No, 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 I'm no, saying, no, what no, do you think? I'm saying I don't think she answers at all. I don't oh. think there is an answer, oh. but I believe I her answer is no. I disagree. The question, wait, let me make sure. The I question was, really want do you really normal? want to be normal? Yes, I think her answer is yes. And, and I I mean, maybe that's predictions, but I'll I, get into I it. I mean, it's, it's questionable. I think the long hesitation would make you think no. Because maybe she does like being different, mm-hmm. having this ability, and being able to communicate with people that other people couldn't. So in that in that time period, really makes her stand out as a strong woman in that society. But she also knows like how greatly it affects her. So she's very torn right now. Let's think about it this way: What happens if she says no, and what happens if she says yes? Well, if she says no, she leaves the priest. She keeps doing what she does, although she has Mina now off her back. So maybe the demon or the master goes at her differently, or goes at somebody else. Since it's the show and it's season two, he'll probably still go after her. If she says yes, she may die after months or years of a very painful exorcism. An exorcism that presents itself that is like dangerous yeah. and risky and. And might provide some interesting plot turns no. and characters. Oh, okay. And the also, you is, have to get the authority from the Vatican and from the 
from the Catholic Church in order to execute it. Which they won't because the priest didn't get the authority the first time. It was a community event, quote-unquote, that they did anyways. Well, if so, they didn't know about it, that's why it would take months. If, if well, the question, he, he had that story at the community yeah. event that those people mm-hmm. died. If the question is whether I think in season two the exorcism is going to happen, the answer is yes. So, uh, But I do not think that deep down inside her... It, she wants to be normal. No, I don't think she does. I think she might think she wants to be normal, but I think, like, Jane walking down the street, I think she'd be miserable. I think she knows, though, that Vanessa could never actually fully be normal, mm-hmm. even if yeah. he left her. Like, she's just been through too much. or And she's too interesting. I don't know. She is interesting. I think she makes can her give cool. up her demonic capability. We're almost there. We got some <laughs> but, stuff before, but last question, guys. The whole season, what do you think? Boil it down for 10 seconds, each of you. Marissa, reactions. So amazing. I mean, how do I boil boil it down in 10 (laughs) words? Uh, Amazing, 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 absolutely freaking fantastic. I think that that was like uh, eight. Amazing, 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 absolutely freaking fantastic. You got four words left. We get 10 words or 10 seconds? Let's say 10 words. Oh. I I think anyone who is interested in any. This type of story, you know, like, you should really just give this show a shot. I think so, Roxy. Ten words, go. Or under. Or under. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's worth your time. It's worth your time. I yes. agree. Sarah, ten words or under. Mm. The show is yummy. This show <laughs> is yummy. yummy. I believe it is the best show on television right now today, period, end of story. That's probably over ten words. Let's get to news I, and gossip. Aren't you covering the Kardashians after this? Oh, that's true. Kardashians is <laughs> is one of the better shows on television. Okay, we've got two pieces of news, you guys. The first one, Reeve Carney, who plays Dorian Gray, does a very good job talking to the media. He talked to TVLine.com about the season finale. James Hawes directed the last two episodes, including this season finale. And they asked him, what's it like working with a new director? And Reeve said, among other things that the director, James Hawes, would take everybody aside once personally for four or five hours, go over each episode and every scene in every episode and the scripts, so everybody kind of knew what the game plan was. That's something I'm, a lot of directors are probably That's doing. A but a five-hour meeting no with way. every character about yeah. this show. Five hours. How much so would you that, love to sit in on that? that that's unbelievable, number that's one. Really and number long. two, directing two episodes doesn't seem like that much, but of an eight-episode like that's huge. Oh, and to come in and to kind of have to be consistent with what the show is but also give your own input absolutely oh my god yeah. if a director is that awesome that he wants to spend five individual hours with you like winning that shows so much dedication how interesting and intriguing they wanted to make the characters because it's not just like hey so and so person like we're all going to remember each of them for their own different ways yeah so cool now the second piece of news you guys are going to love ad week talk to john logan the creator of penny dreadful of course Brilliant. he was working on this show for 10 years in his head before anything came of it mm. but guys where did he first tell somebody his idea for penny dreadful at a bar. It's so much better than that. It's Disneyland. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say it's something bright and cheery. It is bright and cheery. He told his friend Chris King, who's a producer on the show, and quote, we were at Disneyland and we were standing in line and I said, I have an idea for a TV show. We were in line for Space Mountain and there was this wonderful incoherent joy about being able to speak about such dark things in such a bright place. Isn't it funny how everything starts somewhere? Oh, yeah. Sometimes Disneyland. Hey, Space Mountain is an awesome ride. magic happens. (laughs) He also says, and this is actually interesting, they talked to uh, John about 
liking monsters, choosing monsters. Why not write something else? You know, and he says, I've always loved monsters. When I was a kid, I built models in my bedroom and I watched horror movies and read horror comic books. I've always loved monsters. He goes on to say, growing up as a gay man before it was so socially acceptable as it might be now, I knew what it was to feel different from other people, to have a secret and to be frightened of it. Even as I knew that very thing that made me different was who I was. I think all the characters grapple with a version of that, with a version of exceptionality, and can they come to peace with that thing that marks them as alien to their families and loved ones? It was very, very personal to me. That sounds like Caliban. Dead on in a different way. I sounds like a lot sounds, of the characters. Yeah, a lot of them, but to me, I just thought of Caliban. This idea of you're very different from other people, you're very frightened of it. It's an interesting... I, I, see, you saw that, and I saw Vanessa. Yeah. Maybe that's how I'm most connected. Well, I just, I just found it very interesting that he was drawing parallels between himself and a monster for something that is... It's crazy. But, you know, it's something that's not a big deal to us, but to yeah. a lot of people, no, or when I, he grew up, it is a big deal. I'm so not so crazy. Writer, I mean, yeah. that's where you get your inspiration from. Right, Sometimes absolutely. you have to draw from the darkest parts inside you. I'm not saying crazy is incorrect. I'm saying crazy is in that. It's a devastating thing that he just said. No, it's mind-blowing to us to think about people go through it, and yet they do, and that's right. terrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what came about it. And it's really cool to have your experience as a human and write about it, but you're you're writing about it, and yet you're not. There's nothing about growing up as a gay man. It's right. an interesting take on it to say, this is a weird kind of facet of how I felt. Now let's use it as sort of a metaphor in this totally different story and expand on character development in a totally different way. It's very. I think it's a very cool way to do it, and no wonder it took him ten years to work through it, and then however long to write. It. He's a very insightful man, and I think he he writes the voices of other men very well too, especially in the show. I mean, we saw all four main guys cry in tonight's episode in their own different ways. Right. They would, literally were all crying. I would guess because of that, he said that that a lot of the monsters on the show aren't actually monsters. Yeah, makes me think a little differently. It also makes me think that the exorcism, if she ever has one, won't work. Won't work. Mm. Won't work. Interesting. I like that. All right. All right. Hey, speaking of that, let's get to predictions. And now, you're after Buzz TV. Predictions. Sarah, expand on that. Why won't the exorcism work, if that's your prediction? Well, no, that, that wasn't my prediction, but I think what he said just made that because if he is drawing a on his personal life about something he once considered to be a secret, something he was hiding and something that he couldn't accept. And now, obviously, he does. Like, I think the characters are going to go kind of through that same You can't change who you are. Yeah. It's part of you. Um, and I do. I think that at the end of this, she said yes. I think you say yes because they've mentioned Rome now, like, twice. They've mentioned that that's a difficult path, and now they've told us that it can take a long time. And that's a whole nother adventure they could have. And their two options are, you know, kind of help Vanessa with this thing she's internally battling or search for the next hierarchy of this monster. It'll be interesting if they kind of do both and then things will get really crazy because now you've got so much going on um, with, you know, I don't know what Brona's new name is going to be, but I think she's going to be around. (laughs) And it's going to be fun. Um, as I predicted earlier, when we saw them, when we saw Ethan teaching Victor to use guns, there is going to be an Ethan and Victor brawl, especially now that Victor is bringing back Brona and bringing Brona back as Franken's as uh, Caliban's wife. Uh, Ethan's not down with that. Yeah, That's oh not no. going to go for well. <laughs> That's whatever. I was like, how is Ethan going to handle that? So there's there's definitely going to be something there, some some issue with those two men. Okay. Oh, I I have a cu- few quick ones. I think there's another demon out there. 
because at the first episode where they question how many are out there, we like we know there's at least one. We saw one. I think there are at least a few more out there, and they'll have bigger connections to this master. So I don't think that was the only demon. Um, so we'll see more of that. Vanessa, I think Vanessa is still possessed because she's questioning about exorcism and stuff. She wants it, and I don't think she wants to officially get rid of it. I mean, because I think she said no. Um, Dorian Gray, I think his portrait Thank you. This is what I want to is know. the only reason why they're putting it off. It has to play something some weird way into the show. And also, I think the show is going to get Emmy nominated. I see Emmy nominations in the future. I mean, for it being a genre show, usually these type of shows are completely ignored. But I think for the writing, the cinematography, the acting, hello, Eva Green, the the composing, the music, it's like there is not one thing that shouldn't be nominated. I like it. I'm going to abstain from doing predictions this week and instead they say thank you guys for such a successful season on the after show. All the comments, all the tweets, all that good stuff. I really appreciate it. I know the three of you do too. This was a really, really fun show to do for us. Not just to watch it and be a fan of it, but also to interact with you guys. I cannot wait for season two. Before we get there, Twitter, Instagram, where can we find you guys? You can find me everywhere at Roxy Stryer. And you can find me here at AfterBuzz TV and also on Anatomy of a Movie. we got to get you on Twitter, man. Yeah. That's Hashtag Sarah Twitter. <laughs> yep. Uh, you can follow me here at uh, Serafini TV and also Roxy and Sarah. We do Anatomy of a Movie together. I'm also always here. Um, I'll be doing Hemlock Grove, other shows. Check it out. So you guys do Anatomy of a Movie, all three of you without me. That's cool. Yep. I'm at Bobby DeMiro on Twitter, at Mr. Bobby DeMiro on Instagram. Thank you guys again for a very successful season one of Penny Dreadful. We will see you for season two. Good night. From executive producers Maria Manunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Bye. See you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. <laughs> 